right? After Nahum and before Zephaniah. And that probably didn't help you either. All right? It's the sticky pages of your Bible, maybe. You haven't ever read the book of Habakkuk. You've never studied the book of Habakkuk. I don't know. And my, my guess is after last week, I asked, and the place was packed last week. And I said, how many of you ever heard a sermon series on the book, a book of Habakkuk? And two people raised their hand. I don't know if those same two people are here this morning. That means the majority of people have never heard a sermon series or somebody teach through the book of Habakkuk. It doesn't surprise me. It's a minor prophet. The only reason he's a minor prophet, he's, not, he's less important than some of the major prophets. He just wrote less. He was less wind, long-winded, right? He didn't have as much to say, I guess. But uh, this is Habakkuk. If you have to look at the front of your Bible and it says, turn to page 969 or whatever it is in your Bible, that's okay too. All right, but hopefully over the next four weeks, we're going to learn where Habakkuk is and what Habakkuk is about. Now, a lot of you think, man, my first Sunday here, we're looking at Habakkuk. you got to be kidding me. There can't be anything good in Habakkuk. Well, you might be surprised. In fact, I think Habakkuk has a lot to say to us today, especially where our world and the church is today. So hopefully you're there. You're looking at Habakkuk. Um, and uh, I, I just want to say this. I'm not, not necessarily going to be dealing, uh, usually when we do a book of the Bible, it's going verse by verse. Next week, I'll start verse by verse in Habakkuk. I'm going to hit some highlights today and kind of give us a big picture of Habakkuk today. But I can tell you, you've probably heard some things out of Habakkuk. You think, I can't even pronounce it. Habakkuk, 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 whatever. All right, and that's okay. But there's some things in here you've probably heard. How about this? Verse 5, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm going to do something in your day you would not believe if you were told. You ever heard that verse? It's also quoted in the book of Acts. Okay, now you might be surprised what that verse actually means. Probably what, not what you thought it meant. All right, how about 2.4? Look at 2.4 with me. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Listen to this. But the righteous will live by his faith. Find that in the book of Romans. And in fact, Paul builds his whole argument, in a sense, on justification by faith, that we're made right with God through faith from this verse in Habakkuk 2.4. Look at the end of Habakkuk. Verse 17, though the fig tree, this is chapter 3, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive shall fit, should fail and the field produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt the Lord. Anybody heard that one? Well, I don't think it's quoted before. I don't know it came from Habakkuk. All right? It could have come from Second Zephaniah, as before all I'm concerned, right? Now, these are some high, these are some things most, of, most people have heard, at least one of those, maybe all three of those verses. And you didn't realize it came from the book of Habakkuk. And in some ways, those three verses highlight the meaning of Habakkuk as well. And we're going to see that hopefully over the next few weeks here in this great uh, book of Habakkuk. But let me pray and ask, Lord, that to open our heart and our, our minds. And I just think about what Jim read. And one of the key things that got tucked, stuck out to me and I wrote this morning in, in the blog was that the key to understanding the parable, because he said people don't hear, people don't understand, and the disciples like, why don't they understand? And if you go later on, they're even asking, what did that mean? Well, what was the difference? They were rightly related with Jesus. Only when you're rightly related with Jesus and calling out to him can you understand what he's trying to teach. That, I think, was the big picture of Matthew 13. And so we need to go to him and say, Jesus, we need your help to understand this morning. We can't understand. We can't apply this stuff without you helping us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this little book of Habakkuk, which many of us have never even read or studied. But Lord, it's there a part of your word given to us to teach us, to reprove us, to encourage us, to change us. 
And Lord, we understand, just like the disciples there in Matthew 13, Lord, we can't understand this without your help. We need your wisdom, your eyes, and your heart to understand all the great things you have for us in this book. So, Lord, we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you here, here this morning have ever had a question you would like to ask God? All right. How many of you here have a question like you might want to ask God like right now? I got some questions right now. If I could ask God some questions, I got some questions I got for God. All right. And most of us, we're honest, we've got questions for God. And most people would say that they would like to ask God a question. In fact, the recent survey done in USA Today contained an interesting, some interesting answers to this question. And the question is, if you could get in contact with God directly, ask a question, get an immediate reply, what would you ask? All right, now listen to these. Here are the top six answers, questions. What is my purpose here? What is my purpose here? It's a pretty good question. Now how about this one? Will I have life after death? It's a good question too. Third question, why do bad things happen? Whew, that's a good question. And here's the fourth one. Not really a question. It was just a response to this to, to this question. You stand before God and ask him anything, and they said, "I don't even know what I would ask him." Where have they been? I got some questions. I'll give them some questions they can ask him. How about that? You might have some that you could give them too. Number five, is there intelligent life elsewhere? I'm not sure if there's intelligent life here. So um, <laughs> maybe you all. Okay, but number six, exactly how long will I live? The question, those were the top six responses to that. If I could stand before God and ask him a question and expect an immediate response, those are the questions. Now, maybe one of those questions resonates with you. A couple of them do with me. Those are some of those questions I would like to ask God. All right? Um, and, and I'm sure many of us here have other questions we would like to add to the list. Well, the book of Habakkuk is about a man, a prophet, who had a couple questions for God. And that's the theme for Habakkuk, God, I have a question. And as we work down through Habakkuk, you're going to see that's the theme. God, I've got a question. In fact, Habakkuk has a couple questions for God. His first question is basically, how can there be a good God and evil exist? It's kind of, how can bad things, why do bad things happen? Anybody ever asked that question or thought about that? How can there be a good God and evil exist? Or kind of similar, how can bad things happen to good people? Uh, that's, that's a, 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 to me, even an easier answer, a, a question to answer. Because then you have to ask, what's a good person? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whew, man, that might knock out that good people part real, part real quick, right, without Christ. But that's, that's one of the questions he basically asked. The second question is related to the first. How can God be sovereign, meaning in control of all things, and allow evil? How can he allow evil in this world if he's sovereign, he's in control of all things? In fact, you see that if you read any kind of blogs, you read any kind of, anytime somebody puts something about Christianity and you have a comment, I mean, it won't take you two comments down on, on the internet and somebody said, well, the reason I don't believe in God is because he allows evil in the world. He can't be in charge then. I mean, it's all over the place. It's, it's a real question. And Habakkuk asked that question. Anyone here, um, is anyone here ever asked that, those two questions? God, how can you be good 
and evil exist? And how can you be sovereign and allow evil? Have you ever asked those questions? Have you ever searched the answers for those questions? Those are difficult questions. Uh, they're not easy for us to understand in and of ourselves. Or the good news is the book of Habakkuk. God's going to answer Habakkuk's question, and therefore ours as well. So we're going to get to listen to this conversation. Let me say this. Habakkuk isn't speaking directly in this book to anyone but God. It's a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And we get to listen in. We get to step into the room with Habakkuk and God, sit down, maybe behind them, and listen to what God has to say to Habakkuk. That's exciting to me. That I can get in on this conversation between Habakkuk and God and learn a bunch. And that's exactly why it's in this format. So the people of Habakkuk's day could also sit in a room in a sense. Maybe Sometimes you ever some, somebody say you're in a, a crowded room and say, anybody have any questions? And maybe like two people ask a question. And they ask all the questions. You know those kind of people? Or maybe you're one of those kind of people. I don't know. But, you, but there's other people in that room that got a question. They have a question, but they're just afraid to ask. There's too many people. They're embarrassed. They think it's a dumb question. Well, maybe that's you. Well, you don't have to ask the question. Habakkuk's ask it for you, and God's going to answer. So in order to properly understand the Habakkuk and understand this conversation between Habakkuk and, and God, and I'm going to ask for some response here, what do we need to do first before we can understand what Habakkuk is about, what God is saying, what Habakkuk is saying, um, before we can apply it to our lives. What's the key word that we got to get right? It starts with a C. Context. Context. And the three most important things when you're studying the Bible to understand is number one, you said it. What's number two? And what's number three? That's exactly right. If you get the context right, you'll get it right. But so often we, get, we, spit, we, we, we skip the context because we want, okay, how does this apply to my life? That's like dropping in the middle of a conversation, having no context of the conversation, and getting one sentence and say, I'm going to apply that to my life. That's dangerous, isn't it? But sometimes that's how we treat the Bible. You've probably heard of the guy, Lord, I'm looking for direction. I need direction. I'm struggling a little bit. And he takes his Bible and he goes like this. And he said, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> All right, God, I don't like this. How about, give me another one. He flips his Bible and he goes, Go and do likewise. All right? But that's how some people treat the Bible. And that's exactly where they get if you take things out of context. So we've got to get the context right. Habakkuk. So let's look um, at Habakkuk. I'm going to use some visual aids this morning to help us drop Habakkuk in its right context so we can properly apply and understand the book of Habakkuk. So look with me at this timeline here. Now, it's a, it's a little small. I, 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 I try to make it bigger. It's as big as I can make it. Um, but I think this is going to help us guide us through how and where Habakkuk fits in, into the whole. First, you see there creation on the, on, the, on, on the left side. It says creation in the blue part. If you're colorblind, it's the far, far left, okay? And I can't always help with that. But it's, it's, it's creation there. It starts with creation. And, and he creates the heavens and the earth. And we see that in Genesis 1. And everything is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you go see all that God created and how he filled the earth. And, and, and it... it uh, most people understand Genesis. And, and he does so. He, he, he's created man to glorify himself. To glorify God. To bring glory to himself. To, to, to bring glory to God. And be his image bearers that Jared talked about last week. Here last week. And multiply and fill the earth with his image and enjoy him forever. 
That's why God created us. He created, and man was the crown of God's creation. Well, as we've studied God's word over the last few years together, we've also been reminded over and over again that God has a plan, doesn't he? He has a plan, and the Bible's about one great big plan. And what is God's plan? His plan, his purpose for this world and the people that he's created, all right? That he would rescue or redeem, all right, people from sin and its consequences, it's, it's, it's penalty, it's, it's power, it's presence. Rescue people from all different kinds of people. Every people, tribe, tongue, and nation, the Bible says. That's the plan. That's the purpose. That's the theme of the entire Bible. And we can never forget that when we're looking at a singular book or a singular verse. How does it fit into that plan? And I just want to say this, is that the, the, his plan was not reactionary. Oh, gosh. Can you believe they sinned? Oh, gosh, what am I going to do? No, it says it was from before the foundation of the world. This plan was in place between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. What a beautiful picture that is. What great hope that brings to us. And all of Scripture shows us how he has been, how he is, and how he will accomplish that plan. That's what the Bible's about. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, what in the world's the Bible about? That's what the Bible's about. God made it, man messed it up, and God fixed it. I'll never forget that. Somebody told me that as a kid. And really, really, that's what the Bible's about. God fixing the problem that man brought about. So we've got to consider this question when, when we think about Habakkuk. Where and how does Habakkuk fit into God's eternal plan of redemption? In Genesis 3, mankind was tempted by the serpent, Satan, right? we see that right after creation. That's what's happened right here in Genesis 3. And they fall. They sin. They do what God told them not to. And then look what happens right after that in Genesis 3.15. Look what it says. And I will put enmity between, which is just, just ongoing war, okay, between you and the woman and between your seed. And he's speaking to Satan here, giving him, him his curse. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So descendants, okay, those who come from that. He, whoa, hold on. He, who's he? Where did he come from? Well, the seed just became a personal masculine pronoun. So he's talking about a person, a man. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Or you, or it, some translations say you shall strike him on the head, and, you, and uh, he shall strike you on the head, and you shall strike him on the heel. Let me ask you, which is the fatal wound? A heel wound or a head wound? A head wound. You know what this is? This is the prophecy, the first prophecy of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Satan bruises him on the heel through the cross, but Jesus crushes his head through the cross, burial, and resurrection. It's exactly what this is, and this is the key to understanding the whole Bible, right here. Genesis 3.15. And that's what, and he says, I'm, I'm, gonna pro, I'm promising that I'm going to bring a Savior to take care of the sin problem that just happened. And the rest of the Bible is God showing us how he's doing that all the way in the Revelation when Satan gets thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. And all God's people live with God forever and ever. And it's way better than, hey, we're having a party in heaven. If that's all it is, I don't even want to go. We'll be in the presence of the Almighty God. That's enough. I don't care if there's gold streets, anything like that. I just get to see God. 
unhindered by my sin or anything else. But that's what it's all about. Well, I'm going to go back here to the timeline here and pick back up. So that, that's what, what, what happened. So after this a period here of continual rebellion, okay, God gives this promise. There's continual rebellion. You see the flood. So God wipes out humanity again except for Noah and his family. All right? And it kind of starts over, and guess what happens again? They rebel again. And this is the cycle in Scripture. God keeps rescuing. People keep rebelling. Uh, and then right after this, God chooses Abraham, or Abram. You can see that God calls Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make a nation from you. And from your seed, here we go, from your seed, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to come. He's like, where's Habakkuk in this? We're not in the back. Where's Habakkuk? He's coming. But you've got to understand this to understand Habakkuk, I'm telling you. So you're like, I didn't come here for a history lesson. Well, if this history lesson will save your life, we need a history lesson. And it will. This history lesson will. So we see in Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob who became also Israel. And he had 12 tribes. Right? And they were under the rule, all right, of God. The 12 tribes were under the rule of God. And then you have this period of the judges. Right? You have all these judges going on. And that, 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 that's, that's, we're starting to get in. To, to, we're, uh, we've already moved to Egypt. And um, now that they've, they've uh, come back from Egypt. All right? And he's, he's rescued them from that. And, and, and so now he had this, they're back in the land. They have this, this period of judges. And, and uh, God, uh, the people reject God. They don't want God as their, their king. They want to have a king like everybody else, right? So what do they do? They go out and they look for a king like everybody else had. And what did that king look like? A guy named Saul. And I wish Clint Rupley was here. I did this last time I went through this with everybody. And Clint was here. Clint's like six three and a half. He looks like he's six six because he's so long. All right? And he's just a good-looking guy from Indiana. All right, and he's just a big, tall. We stand up. Clint's taller than everybody. He just big, broad shoulders. Is that right, Brittany? Okay, yeah. Okay, that's all right. And 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 that's exactly what the world would. Now I love Clint, and Clint loves the Lord. He wasn't like Saul, but he looks like Saul. I think he just looks good. He looks good on the outside. Let's pick him, and they picked him, just like the world. And guess what happened? He was just like the world. He was about Saul and not God. So God rejects him as king. And who was the second king then? David, what did he look like when, he found, when they found David? He's like a little shepherd boy. Are you kidding me? He's working with stinky sheep. That's the last guy. Sheep. Sheeps is not correct. Sheep. All right. Sheep. And, and stinky sheep. And you would be the last guy to pick. David, are you kidding me? Yep, he picks David. And it's, David's the only man in Scripture they say he's a man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? He sinned grievously. He was a man of repentance. Go read Psalm 51. So David this is the second. This is the second. Who's the third king? Who's David's son? Solomon. That's exactly right. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He learned the hard way some of that wisdom. And you can go read the books that he, he wrote. All right? Ecclesiastes especially. He learned the hard way, but the wisest man who ever lived. So after Solomon dies, okay, now we're looking back up here. and uh, you, got the, you got Exodus, um, Judges. Uh, um, so after he and there's united kingdom there's one kingdom okay Saul David and, uh, um, and you see united kingdom kind of down there at the bottom under the red if you, the arrow that goes under the, or the, the line that goes under the red and uh, united kingdom so after that what happened 
There, there, there's a battle for the throne. And the kingdom splits. You have the, the, the southern kingdom, also called Judah. And a guy named Rehoboam was their first king, who was the son of uh, Solomon. And in, in that kingdom, there were 19 kings, one queen, some good, some bad. Then you had the northern kingdom, all right? So the southern kingdom, first king is Rehoboam. The northern kingdom, Israel, called Israel, has a guy named Jeroboam, all right? And they had, he was their first king. They had 19 kings, and they're all evil, all of them. There wasn't a good one of the bunch. So you had this split. The northern kingdom, capital Samaria. Southern kingdom, capital Jerusalem. Israel, Judah. We have this split. You're thinking, man, you've got to be kidding me. I had this in school. This doesn't mean anything. You bet it does. It means everything to understand God's story of redemption. All right? It means something. So you had this. So the northern kingdom um, just continues to reject God. We don't want you, God. Get out of here, basically what they say. So guess what happens in 722 B.C.? Well, God brings, that's right, God brings Assyria, the power of the day, at that time brings Assyria and destroys the northern kingdom and takes them captivity to Assyria. All right, just destroys them. And then people start intermarrying, listen to this, intermarrying with the other people from other countries, start intermarrying with the northern kingdom, the Israel. And guess what you get from that? The Samaritans. Ooh, and if you know anything about the New Testament, the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were crossbreeds. They weren't pure. Well, none of them were pure. But they thought they were, the, 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 the people who were not part of the northern kingdom, Samaria. So that's what happens in 722 B.C. There you go, Syrians take them captive. Well, you would think that the southern kingdom would clue in when you reject God. God loves you enough to take you over his knee and discipline you. I was having a conversation about Habakkuk with my four-year-old son on the way here this morning. All right, you're like, man, he was excited. And this is what I told him. What's Habakkuk about? Habakkuk's upset that people that call themselves God's people have rejected God. And they're not doing good things. They're doing mean things, James. He said, oh, really? And Habakkuk says, God, why is that happening? And God says, don't worry. I love them enough that I'm going to take them over and I'm going to spank them. And James goes, God's going to spank them? Yeah. He's going to spank them. He loves them. When Daddy spanks you, James, why do I spank you? Because I've done something bad, Daddy. And I, and I said, why else? Because you love me, Daddy. This is exactly right. And that's what God's doing here, too. He's doing this with Nate. So you think they learn, but they don't learn. So in 605 B.C., all right, you have this united kingdom. You have the divided kingdom. You have Israel is destroyed. And then you see up there it says Judah destroyed. Now, right before that, 605 B.C., Jerusalem or Judah is conquered by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians are in power, okay? And, and, uh, um, and they, the first wave of the Jews is taken captivity to Babylon. Babylon. About 10,000 Jewish leaders are taken into captivity, 605. 597 B.C., the second wave of Jews is taken to Babylon. 586 B.C., the third wave is taken to Babylon, and they destroy the temple in Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. The symbol of God's people and his presence with them is destroyed. God wasn't, but the symbol of that with his people was destroyed. Well, so they're there, 586. And then something happens that was prophesied in Isaiah. A guy named Cyrus. Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire comes into to, uh, um, power of the, over the world. And this guy named Cyrus, God prophesied 
hundreds of years before Cyrus even born, that God, a God, he even named him, Cyrus will come to power and the Jews will go back to the land. It's debated between 539 and 538 right there. They go back, a group of them goes back to the land. All right, and guess what happens in 516? 70 years after 586, the temple is rebuilt. Just like God promised, 70 years they'd be in captivity and his temple would be rebuilt. God's got a promise and he keeps his promise. So that's what happens in 516. And then the walls are rebuilt in 445 and you get Ezra and Nehemiah that happens in there. Um, so that's a big picture. All right, that's a big picture. So what about Habakkuk? Where's Habakkuk fit into all that big picture of the Old Testament? Then you have this 400 years of silence before the New Testament. And, and also it's known that when, when, when the temple was destroyed, it's, it was called, it was prophesied and seen in a vision and it was called Ichabod. The glory has departed. And God, in a sense, quit speaking to the nation of Israel verbally for 400 years. And then something we just celebrated a few weeks ago. Glory to God in the highest. On peace, goodwill toward men. The glory returns in this little boy named Jesus. Perfect God, perfect man. The glory of God comes back to earth. Wow. I'm getting chills. I don't know about you. That's just amazing. And that's what happens. So let's look at Habakkuk. Just give me a short, let me give you a short history here of leading up to Habakkuk's time. So Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom. He's a good guy. 29 years reign. And then Manasseh comes on. He's the worst of all the southern kingdom um, kings, of kings of Judah. Reigns over 50 years. He brings back Baal worship. He brings back the, the Astaroth worship. He introduces Astro-Chaldean worship uh, of the stars. He builds altars to the host of heaven in the inner courts of the temple. And even sets up sex symbol Astaroth in the temple itself. Homosexuality was encouraged. And the houses of the homosexuals lined the road to the temple. Can you get any worse? Can you get any worse? People just turn their back on God in the southern kingdom. Manasseh is leading the way. Everybody's in sin. We hate God. Not everybody's always a remnant. But that's what the way Manasseh is leading. Then he, he has a son named Ammon who follows him. He's also a bad king. He only reigned for two years. Then we have my favorite of all the southern kings, Josiah, Ammon's son. I want to name our first child Josiah. We got a Joshua. And I named my first dog Josiah. All right? And he was a great dog. Great dog. Chocolate lab. Wasn't as good as my son Joshua, though. But Josiah brought about reform. Major reform. He knocks down all the idols. He gets rid of the Astor of Port. And he's, they, they discover the word of God. It had been lost. They quit reading it. See, all the kings of Israel were supposed to do this. They were supposed to copy down the law of God. They were supposed to write it down so they could have their own copy. And guess what? They quit doing it. And then they lost it. And it was rediscovered. And Joseph said, what are we going to do? Look at what it says. We've got to repent. So he leads the nation to repentance. But the problem is only one guy's heart was changed. Everybody else was just doing it because it was a thing to do. So it doesn't last. And then you have a guy come, uh, Josiah's son Jehoahaz. He th- only reigns three months. He's a bad king. In the meantime, listen to this, the Babylonians, here we go, begin to become a big player in the world scene during the reign of a guy named Nabopolassar. All right? And then in 612 B.C., the Babylonians destroy the Assyrians' capital of Nineveh. Let me show you this. All right, here's 612. The Babylonians sack Nineveh and, and Assyria. So now the Babylonians are in power. Assyrians are out of there. And then you see that, that, that 
Babylon defeats Assyria and Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 B.C. The first wave of Jews are taken as they conquer Jerusalem in 597 second, 586 third wave. Jerusalem is destroyed. And during this time, a guy named Jehoiakim, another one of Josiah's sons, is an evil king. He overturned everything that his father did good. Everything his father did good, he did the exact opposite. All right, turn with me in your Bibles. I want to show you this in 2 Kings. Back over your left, 2 Kings 23. Bear with me. All right, this is all important, I promise you. And I really debated um, how much do I share with this, but it's so important that we understand this. And I would say that the historical background of the minor prophets is probably the least understood, and therefore the minor prophets are the least understood of all the books of the Bible. So it's important that we understand this. And I think you, I think you will. So let's look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 23. And let me just begin reading in verse 34. Pharaoh, Necho, made El- Elohim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah his father, and, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away and brought him to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land in order to give the money at the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, each according to his valuation, to give to the Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Zebedah, the daughter of uh, Pitadiah of Rumah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. All right, now Nebuchadnezzar's in, in charge of, of uh, the Babylonians. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years when he turned and rebelled against him. Then he, then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, the prophets, to his servants of prophets. Surely the command of the Lord came up, came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also for the innocent blood which he had shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And you actually read about Chronicles, about um, Jehoiakim. He was evil. He turned his back on God. So the, the date here, we, we can see this, the date of Habakkuk is during the first part of Jehoiakim's reign, which was 609. All right, you see here, Babylonian, Babylonians take over the world in 612. In 609, Jehoiakim begins the reign, and he continues to take Judah further and further away from God. And in 605, here comes Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and Jehoiakim's not so hot anymore. He's not as big as he thought he was, and gets conquered, and God, of course, allows us. So we see that, that, that things were not going well when Habakkuk wrote this book. Are they going well for the, the Judah? Judah? Not at all. Are the people following after God? Not at all. They hate God. They had all of his ways. Not all the people, but most of the people. Habakkuk's ministry, just to let you know too, if you read Jeremiah, he paralleled Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied a lot longer, but Habakkuk paralleled Jeremiah. He was a, a, a prophet in his day as well. Things are not good with God's people. All right, so there's the background. Okay, let's, let's now look at an overview or an outline of the book of Habakkuk. All right. Uh, so the, the first four verses in uh, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk's first question. God, i got a question. Here's my first one. So then we have the, in, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, you see God's first answer. All right, then the third part is he gets, a, he gets an answer back, but it's not like Habakkuk thought. i got another question, God. 
So you see Habakkuk's second question in, in chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. All right, then you see God's answer to that in chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, which is the rest of chapter 2. And then the last part is Habakkuk, it should be say Habakkuk's prayer. All right, that's chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, Habakkuk's prayer. So that's the flow of the book. Habakkuk asked a question, God answered it. Habakkuk asked another question based upon God's answer. God answers it, and then you have this prayer of Habakkuk to end the book. All right? So let's, let's take, take a brief glimpse at Habakkuk here this morning. And uh, so, uh, again, Habakkuk's not speaking to people. He's speaking to God. It's important we, read, we, we see that. But let's just read the first four verses here of Habakkuk. The oracle which, is, which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you don't save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored, ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Things are not good, are they? Now, do you understand why the context is so important here? We all understand what's going on, right? I just told us. The Bible tells us all the context around us to tell us, why would Habakkuk say that? It's because the people under Jehoiakim's leadership have rejected God again, and they're going after sin and going after sin itself. And he's looking at this. He's like, God, look at all this. What's going on? I mean, why aren't you doing something? Look at all this evil. We understand that because we understand the setting of Habakkuk. Things aren't good. And Habakkuk's got a question. Now, what if Habakkuk approached God in our day? That's their day. That's, you know, around 609. Things aren't going well. What if he approached Habakkuk approached God in our day? I wonder what Habakkuk would ask God then concerning those who claim to be God's people today. I wonder if it would be any different. Well, just let me take a shot, all right? Lord, how long will you allow those who call your, you, Lord, to pursue self and sin? Lord, how long will you allow those people to be call themselves your people to be more concerned about preference than principle? How long, Lord, will you allow those who call you Lord to pursue success in this world at the expense of pursuing the Savior of the world? Lord, how long will you allow those who call themselves your people to think that only new is from you? And on the other side, people who think that anything new is not from you. Lord, how long will you allow those who call themselves your people to seek worldly counsel instead of the wonderful counselor? Lord, how long will you allow people who call themselves yours not to fight for the sanctity of life? Lord, how long will you allow those people who call themselves yours to argue and fight instead of pursue unity. That's verse 3. Verse 2 is the sanctity of life. Verse 3 is that. Verse 4, how about this? Lord, how long will you allow those people who call themselves yours to ignore your word? Lord, how long will you allow 
those people who call themselves God's people to ignore injustice. Lord, how long will you allow those people who call out, Lord, 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 question your authority and your goodness? Things aren't really that much different today, are they? They're not. Now look with me at the end of Habakkuk, verses 17 through 19. Listen to this. Notice the contrast from the beginning of the book. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, things aren't going well. Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the field and there be no cattle in the stall, all the circumstances are bad. Circumstances haven't changed. Yeah, listen, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on my high places. For the choir director on my strength instruments, it's like this last part of song. Response back to God. What would bring about such a big difference in Habakkuk's attitude and words? You see the contrast? The circumstances haven't changed, but his heart and his attitude and his viewpoint of what's going on has changed. What would cause him to go from fear to faith? What would cause him to go from terror to trust? What would cause Habakkuk to go from despair to delight? What would cause Habakkuk to go from pessimism to praise? Well, God God's answers to his question bring about this change. That's what causes him to change. God answers his question. God's word brings a change of heart and therefore Habakkuk's outlook and attitude of change. And we're going to look specifically at God's answers to him in the next couple of weeks. But for now, we can summarize what happened in Habakkuk's heart. Listen, here's what happened in Habakkuk's heart. When he heard the word of God, he learned to trust God and his word. That's what happened. That's what changed everything about Habakkuk and his attitude and his viewpoint and his heart and his words and his actions. As he learned to trust God and his word. Well, where are you this morning? Fear? Terror? Despair? Pessimism? questioning what God is doing and my guess is all of us may be there in some way and maybe you're really deep down in despair because of the circumstances around you they're awful and I just kind of described those people who call themselves Christians followers of Christ act like some of those things and it brings about despair I just got news this week about something that broke my heart it real close to home it wasn't good. It hurt. It didn't, it didn't look good for the home team at all. So how do we respond to that? How do you respond? Do we trust God and his word? Please know that God knows what he's up to. He does. And we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Because all of us ask these kind of questions sometimes. All of us find ourselves in these kind of places sometimes. He is committed to bringing about his plan to redeem or rescue people from sin from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's committed to that. 
And when God's committed, he will always come through. He's committed to rescuing people from the penalty and the power and ultimately the presence of sin. Have you been rescued from the penalty of sin this morning? See, the Bible teaches, and I mentioned this before, that we're all sinful. God created us to glorify him, right? And it says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We don't do what God created us to do. And it separates us from God. And we try everything we can to get back to God, and it's not good enough. So God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place, to pay the penalty, because it says the wages of sin is death. He paid our death penalty for us. Stood in our place, took on the sin of the world, and God's holy, just wrath was poured up on him to pay the penalty for your sin. So you might become back in a right relationship with God. And he says if we'll turn from trusting in ourselves and our good works trying to make ourselves right with God, we turn from that and trust in Jesus, then his righteousness is declared our righteousness and we're made right with God. Have you done that this morning? Because that's how, that's how you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. God's just wrath on your sin. Well, if you've been saved from the penalty of sin, guess what? I want to make sure you know this. You are being saved from the power of sin. God promises that everyone who's saved from the penalty of sin is being saved from the power of sin every day. When we battle sin every day, God is saving us from the power of sin to overcome the power of sin in our life. And one day, one day, listen to this, one day, he's going to save us from the presence of sin. Who's in, who's in for that one? I'm in for that one. Well, if you've been rescued from the penalty of sin, you're being saved from the power of sin, you will be, res- you will be rescued from even the presence of sin. Look, look at this great news. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And you go on and read more in Romans. What's that purpose? To make us more like Jesus so that we might glorify God with our life. He's committed to that. And he will come through. Well, I want to encourage you to come back next week. All right? As we look into chapter 1 of Habakkuk and begin to look at this answer that God gives. And I promise you, if you're asking that kind of question, you're looking around and say, God, things are just messed up circumstances. The variables are bad, God. They're bad in my life. They're bad in the world. What are you doing, God? Come back next week. Sit in on Habakkuk and God's conversation and hear what God has to say. I think you'll be encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you for this little book of Habakkuk, this prophet, Lord, that not only had something to say to the people who had turned their backs on you, even those who said they hadn't um, of his day and around 600 B.C., but Lord, he has something to say to us. Lord, you have something to say to us through him even today. And Lord, we look to you for our hope. We look to you for our answers. Lord, help us know at least what we know the general answer is lord he learned to trust you and your word lord help us trust you and your word or may we bank on you coming through of what you've promised lord help us now as we respond to you as we sing from our hearts or may we worship you the god who saves from the penalty the power and the presence of sin in jesus name amen